Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. This is episode 400. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Ellen. 400. Holy cow. <laughs> 400. God, the time flies. One of the things uh, I'd like to tell listeners before we get to our guest is that because Facebook and YouTube, Facebook is shadow banning us and YouTube has classified our videos as adult content. Figure that out. Anyway, uh, we'd like listeners to know that you could help us spread the word about the amazing benefits of cannabis by sharing the podcast, writing a review, or rating us on the platform you listen to, whether it's Spotify, Google, Apple, Rumble, whatever. And we appreciate that uh, for everyone who's done that already. And before we get to our guest, we'd like to thank those of you who are supporting our podcast by making a one-time donation or a monthly donation, which you can do for as little as $5 a month, the price of a cup of coffee. That helps to keep us running. And you can find out how to do that by going to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and we thank you for your support. How would you feel as a parent if your teenage daughter was diagnosed with leukemia? If that happened to any of us, of course, we'd be devastated and scared. Today, we're going to revisit the mother of a then-teenager who was diagnosed with leukemia 10 years ago. And joining us from Newfoundland, Canada, is Dana Willer, who was first interviewed in the spring of 2017. She's going to tell us how her daughter Haley is doing. Dana, how many times have you thought about Haley and her health issues and bring us up to date uh, over the last six and a half years since we last talked to you. How is she doing today? Wow. Thank you guys for having me, first of all. Um, so since the last time we spoke, that was 2017. Uh, this is now 2023. And honestly, her health has been fabulous. Great. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. She's, she's rarely seen a doctor in all these years, you know, um, just for random, like, blood work to check up on things. And other than that, like, really has not had any health issues since then. Just minor things, you know, nothing, nothing serious. Dana, how are you doing emotionally, given what you and your daughter have been through over the years? Well, you know, Ian, to be fair, um, I didn't know what I know I didn't know then what I know now. Mm -hmm. So fear was a huge factor back then because I wasn't armed with the information that I'm armed with now if I were to be given a diagnosis of that today. Right. So fear was the biggest, uh, you know, obstacle that we all had to face with this going on was what would be the outcome. Yeah, and, and would she live? Of the whole thing. Exactly. So, you know, like there's still a lot of PTSD on my part, especially um, from that because of how they do that. It's like they tell you that your kid has leukemia and then you don't even really have time to absorb it or think about it. The next thing they have them hooked up to chemotherapy. And so like you really don't get a chance to even assess what's going on. You're just so in fear that you may lose your child that you 
agree then to do whatever it is that they tell you you need to do in order for them to save your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for those of us, uh, for those who have not uh, heard our first interview, which was episode 152. Wow. Take us back to October of 2013 and tell us about the day your daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. Okay, so um, actually I had been out of the country and a couple of days before I came home, um, my daughter had texted me and she said, I think there's something wrong with me. So before I had gone on this trip, um, she had gotten some bruises just on her thigh areas. And that was a little concerning to me because, you know, I kind of wondered where they would be coming from. So I kind of just chalked it up to maybe low iron or something like that. I didn't really think that it was anything super serious at that point, although I was concerned. Um, so uh, it ended up where um, she got her period and she started to basically started to hemorrhage a little. So it was so it was very heavy. So um, I, that was also extremely concerning because that was not a normal occurrence for her at all. So I ended up calling my mother, who was in the province with her at the time, and I said, Mom, can you please take Haley for blood work tomorrow? I'm getting really concerned. And my mom said, yeah, I'm actually concerned as well with these bruises. So um, so I said, okay, that's good. I said, well, I have her, I'll, I'll be home. So like I'll, you know, we'll do what we need to do after I get back, whatever the case, you know, whatever turns out what's going on. So my mom took her to the doctor. And the doctor said, okay, yeah, um, I'm concerned with these bruises as well. You need to go get blood work. So me, I have her MCP card in my purse in the States. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so then I was like, oh no, so I can't send her, I can't really send her out for the blood work without the MCP card. So what I did was I had a friend actually who um, was, is a home nurse who goes and takes blood and brings it to the hospital. So I actually called her and I told her the situation that I was out of the country and that um, I was concerned about Haley. She needed to have this blood work done. So I flew in that night. The next morning at 6 a.m., she came to take her blood. By 11 o'clock that morning, I got a phone call back from my doctor's office. They said, um, actually, it was the secretary, and she said, is this Dana? And I said, yes. And she said, did Haley have blood work done this morning? And I said, she did. And she said, well, this is Dr. Chalk's office calling. She said, um, Dr. Chalk needs to see Haley right away. So I started, I could feel my heart starting to race, and mm -hmm. I knew this wasn't good. Um, so I said to the nurse, I said, well, I said, yeah, I said, but, um, I said, we're just actually getting ready to go out on the highway because I had been getting ready to head out to run a figure skating competition, which Haley had been a competitive figure skater up to the diagnosis for like 14 years. So the two of us were actually getting ready to go out there. So she said, oh, she said, well, let me put you on to the doctor. So doctor, the doctor got on the phone and he said, um, my darling, he said, you're not going out anywhere today he said other than to my office he said pack a bag he said she needs to go to the hospital wow wow oh with he said there's something drastically wrong with her blood is what he said so of course then i was very upset and like i said i just traveled home the night before and all of this was just like very stressful and i was really really scared then because i kind of in my heart then had a real 
feeling that this this was definitely not good news. Um, so we ended up going to the to the doctor on the uh, to stop in there. Um, when I when the I spoke to the to the secretary, Haley had just been on her way back home because she had gone out somewhere and was on her way back. Um, so I had called my mother and I said, Haley's on her way back, but I have to tell her she needs to go to the hospital. And, you know, like I, and I was panicking and my mom said, okay. She said, well, I'll come over. So she came when Haley got in the house. Um, I said to her, Haley, I said, there's something wrong with your blood. I, I, we have to go to the hospital. And with that, she just kind of like dropped to the floor and she said, I knew there was something wrong with me. So when we got to the doctor's office, again, he, he said that he thought it was leukemia. Um, he wanted us to go right to the hospital. So, of course, we went to the hospital. And then that's where it went from there was getting this, uh, this oncologist come in, uh, the hematologist, and tell us that that's what they thought it was. They needed to wait to find out uh, which subtype it was. So that took a couple of days. And then we found out that she was uh, diagnosed with APL leukemia, which is a subtype of AML. What went through your mind when he, when you, the doctor in the doctor's office said, I think this is leukemia? It was almost, it was actually my worst fear coming true because it, I had always, um, and I can't explain why because I have two kids. Uh, but with Haley, I always had this concern over her health. Uh, for unknown reasons, and maybe because this is, you know, what it had led up to um, was this diagnosis. But again, a very, a thing that always concerned me was her health. And not for any reason because she was unhealthy, just just something that was always in the back of my head. And I, again, like I said, I can't explain why I would always feel like that because I did not have the same fear over my mm -hmm. son's health. And he is 24 today. So, uh, you know, with her, it was, it was something, but I, I just, uh, so when they said it, of course, like it was my biggest, what was Haley's that. reaction? Huh, that's, that's the interesting part. Okay. So of course, when they told her she was upset, um, but very quickly she turned from being upset to, and I, these are the words I specifically remember her saying to me was mom, I'm not even going to call it cancer. I'm just going to look at it as I'm sick. I'm going to get better. And then I'm going to go home. Good for her. <laughs> and right. And she said to the doctor, she said, I don't care. Whatever you got to give it me, give it to me so I can get better and go home. So right away, she was a warrior with it, you know, like a very, you know, she had this real strong mindset. And I even remember her saying to me, um, you know, mom, if this was you and you were being diagnosed with leukemia, you know, you'd be dead, but you'd be dead tomorrow. <laughs> like you would have yourself dead and buried. <laughs> and at that time, yes, that's true. I, that was my mentality then, because I, again, I had no idea that I wasn't going to, I did not have to be at the mercy of the system, that there were so many other options available to me. But at the time, like I said, I had no idea about any of these options. The interesting thing, though, with uh, about her comment is that uh, when you're a parent, your kids are paramount, aren't they? They're just yes. the most important yes. thing in your life. Absolutely. Who I live for is both my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So what was her treatment in the hospital? So that that was intense, very intense. It was um, five weeks, five and a half weeks of intravenous chemotherapy. Um, I remember there was a period of 10 days and we called it the 10 days of darkness 
because she didn't want any curtains opened. She didn't want visitors. She just wanted to be left alone. And so I believe in that time, because that in that period, she was getting those fevers in the night times. And one of the last fevers, it broke. And it was like, after that 10 days, the next, the next day she woke up. And it was like, I, don't, I can't explain what had happened there either, but she woke up and she wanted the curtains open. It was just like a totally different Haley from the prior 10 days where she was miserable. Um, I mean, she had those mouth sores. She couldn't speak. She couldn't uh, talk. I mean, those things that the dentists use to suck the saliva out of the mouth. She had one of those on the next to her because the drug, one of the drugs that she was taking was causing excess saliva. So it was so bad that she had to have that there constantly. And I mean, that thing bucket would fill up with the saliva, like so quick. Mm. And, you know, there was, it was, it was really like watching. It was like, watch, it was like being in hell, watching my child suffer. When really. did cannabis come into play? So, um, the real catalyst for when I started to realize that there seemed to be something really wrong with this whole chemotherapy deal was uh, one of the days a nurse came into the room and she was just changing over the chemo bag and something happened to where the chemo squirted out onto Haley. So when that happened, hazmat came into the rushing into the room, like these people in full hazmat and the nurse was like, you, you have to come out of the room. So, of course, in all this panic, I'm wondering what's going on? Like, what, what's happening here? You know, why, why are all these people here and why am I being ushered out? And so I was out in the hallway and there was a, a fairly new nurse there. I guess she was maybe like probably in her first year nursing. And I said to her, I said, what, what's going on? I said, like, why do I have to come out of the room and, and what are they doing? And she said, well, she said, when there's a chemo spill, you can't be exposed to the chemotherapy because it can cause cancer. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so this, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so if I can get cancer from being exposed to the chemotherapy, then what the, <laughs> and I, I said yeah. the word, <laughs> what the F is it doing going yeah. inside her? And of course she had no answer. And then so again, that was the catalyst to where I realized, oh, no, this this is not good. Like if if this continues on and on and on, like this, the result of of this will likely be that she won't survive it. Mm. So once I got her home from the hospital, once she got discharged, she was declared in remission at the end of November. Um, they sent us home. They said. Um, you know, we'll give you the results in a few days, but they had felt that she was likely in remission at this point due to the blood work and stuff like that. But they needed to wait to get the molecular result back. So when the result came back in that she was in remission, I got to keep her home. Um, so that was for all of December. Then in January, um, she ended up getting uh, an infection, um, which actually was just damaged from the chemo. So I had to bring her back and it wasn't actually an infection. She, these were just symptoms of what happens when you're, you know, getting chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So I bring her back into the hospital and then she was readmitted. And then I started getting really nervous because even though she was in remission, she was still really sick and that was bothering me. And I knew like that, how bad the chemo was obviously because they had said that it can actually cause cancer. So all, all of that was, you know, it was um, just this 
thing where I thought to myself, there's got to be something else we can do other than this. So because I'm a born researcher and I, and I love to learn and I love knowledge and I love to know things. So I set to trying to figure out how I can do this for her without her suffering, without her being so sick and without her, you know, just, just everything being so terrible. Mm-hmm. So I started to look around online and I came across this website and it was called curiaroundcancer.org. And the first story that I came to was a story about a man named Elias who had had leukemia, but who had defeated it without any chemo or radiation or any type of pharmaceutical drugs, just, just cannabis oil. So this guy, you know, he had two kids and he was living his life and doing great. So I thought, you know what? He's using cannabis oil. Maybe I should try cannabis oil. So as I was looking at this, uh, this story, I noticed that there was a, another story that came up and it said, or a video that came up and it was dated November 17th, which is Haley's birthday. And the other video that he had posted was dated uh, May 29th, which is my birthday. So I thought, well, if these are not signs, I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> like these two videos are my birthday and her birthday. And so I was like, I have to, I have to do this. This was just a sign to me that I needed to do it. So back then cannabis was illegal. <laughs> so I had to try and find a source for the cannabis. I had to learn how to make what they call the FICO or RSO or whatever. Like I had to actually learn how to do that. So because I was just start do, learning it on my own, um, I thought the easiest thing to do, which I had also been reading about was people were just infusing, uh, cannabis into coconut oil. So that's initially what I did first was I just started to infuse the, the, like I would just put it in a mason jar and then put the oil and then uh, let it infuse. And so I started giving her about 10 mils of that at night for her to help her sleep. And within the first week of me doing that, because she used to get blood work every single Monday to see where the counts were. So within the first week of doing that, we go back after the whole week and go on the next Monday. And then the doctor says, Oh, Haley, you know, your, your blood is doing well this week. So I, I didn't tell her what we were doing at this point, because again, it was legal and I was, didn't want to say at that point. So after about three or four weeks, I finally went in, uh, at the, at that fourth appointment, I believe it was. And she said, you're just doing so well, Haley. She said, I really want you to do whatever you're doing. She said, keep doing it. So I told her what we were doing. Because I fully believed that this was what was making the difference in all the blood work and all the counts being normal, like seriously, like normal again, no, no up or down, no erratic, just normal. So I told her what we were doing and she said, she, she didn't, she didn't disagree at all. She said, um, I can't tell you not to do it because she's an adult now and she can make that choice. So she said, but, you know, if that's, if that's what you feel is helping, by all means, you know, continue to do it. So I was actually really lucky in the fact that um, she was old enough to make that decision where we didn't have to deal with CPS or anybody else, you know, breathing down our necks for not following the protocol. Mm-hmm. Because after a while, that's exactly what she did. She quit the whole entire uh, protocol you know, because she had felt so well. And she said, mom, like, I know the chemotherapy is, is making me sick. And she said, I just feel so good now. And I don't want to take the chemotherapy anymore. And I'd been badgering her too for a bit, after, you know, cause she'd been doing it for months then, like she was on the oil and she was doing so well. And she stopped the Atro, which is uh, that's an every three months or you take that drug like for three months. 
I think it is once every three months it was in the, in the whole like two and a half or three year protocol, which is what they wanted her to keep doing, even though she was in remission after six weeks, they still want you to continue to take the chemo for like two and a half years. So, um, you know, so about a year and a half early, she gave up everything. Like all of it was given up by then. And she's never looked so, back. So, Jenny, you're talking about never that you back. didn't use coconut oil, but just a moment ago when you were talking, you mentioned oil. So did you switch it up so that she was having cannabis oil after a while then once you saw what the coconut, the infused coconut was doing? So, yeah. So what I did was, even though I knew that the coconut infused cannabis oil was actually helping her, I still wanted to make the FICO because I knew that that's what everyone else had you know, when I was, as I was researching, that's what they were doing. And I still wanted to learn how to do it for myself anyway. So at this point, I'd been able to find someone that I was able to get the cannabis from mm-hmm. consistently. So I ended up, um, also it's very difficult to get, uh, a high percent al- alcohol here to a grain alcohol to make that. So I used to have to get people to bring me back 99% Everclear from the United States in order to, to make, make the medicine myself. Yeah. Um, so I would use like several different strains of cannabis, all different ones all the time. Like there was never any one particular strain I stuck with. I always just used whatever I could get my hands on to make the FICO. And again, all of this was obviously helpful because here we are 10 years later and she's still here to, to tell the tale, you know? <laughs> so no regrets on my part or yeah. her part. At the beginning when we started speaking with you, you mentioned that, and I, th- I feel it was a really valid point to bring up that you feel you still suffer from a bit of PTSD from that whole situation. You know, at, I this do. is something, even though I've been at this, you know, 12 years helping cancer patients that I did not realize until we started doing this podcast. And that is in these cases where we have children with cancer in almost every single case, the child and the parents are left with a really severe form of PTSD from virtually everything that Absolutely. goes on there from, you know, if it's a young child yeah. holding down your child while they're inserting, you know, needles, etc. And it's just horrific to have to overcome that on top of everything else that you're going through. It really is. And when you go back to when you just said about holding your child down, I also go back to another incident that really still like when I think about it, I can still feel the anxiety start to rise. But um, at one point in the hospital, this was the day actually that she went home. Um, it was on a Friday, I believe. And they said to us that they didn't have an anesthesiologist around to do the bone marrow test. And they had to do the bone marrow in order to be able to send it to the molecular lab to find out whether she was in remission. So they, they told her and they knew how much she hated being in the hospital. They knew she wanted to go home so bad. So what they did was basically they bribed her and said that if you get this test done, the bone marrow test today in your room and you're not, you don't get put to sleep because she wanted to be put to sleep. The initial one, she was put to sleep uh, because she was still under, under the age then. But when they did, they did it at the children's hospital, but when they considered her then an adult at 19, she, they said, you know, no, you have to stay here in this section of the hospital. So she didn't want to um, do it awake, but she knew she'd get to go home. So they actually didn't even bring her into a sterile room or anything like that. They actually did it in the bed that she'd been laying oh in like God. all day and for weeks. Yeah, they. so this doctor comes in 
He didn't even, he didn't have a flash, he needed a flashlight, didn't know that his cell phone had a flashlight on it. <laughs> but anyway, so here he is, and so he has me and her dad, literally, we had to hold her down. Her dad, I remember, was sweating, it was the most, it was, and she was screaming, and I, I swear, like, I'm sure the people on her floor thought she was being murdered. I mean, it was the pain that she went through with them doing that bone marrow extraction in the spinal area, you know? Mm -hmm. And so here's us, like, him ha having us hold her down. So you want to talk about trauma. Tra that was yeah. trauma. I've had that, I've had that done. And it is not pleasant. And I was an adult, okay? Holy yeah, crap. I yeah. can't imagine that. That must have been so horrible for all of you. And yeah, and I mean, she does not handle pain well anyway. She has a very low pain tolerance, very low. Maybe for me, I, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I, I think my pain tolerance is pretty high, but watching what he was doing and using that metal thing, to, no way. Like that, that to me was actually barbaric. And again, something else that has contributed to the PTSD of the whole situation. Now, does your daughter suffer from PTSD or does she even talk about that? Actually, you know, I'm sure that she does. Um, it would be abnormal if she didn't think about, you know, what had happened, you know, the, the her past and her her health back then and things like that. I'm sure like any other person that's ever been diagnosed with cancer, the thought crosses her mind that, you know, it could come back or, you know, I, I could get sick again or whatever. But I do believe that now that she knows that she has the power to make decisions for herself that actually contribute to her you know, to recovering health rather than continuing to tear it down. I do think that it, you know, like that knowing, just knowing that we have these things available to us that we didn't know back then makes the difference in, yeah, in the fear part of it. But the thing that upsets me is, is that, you know, because they turn it into such a fear-based thing where you have to start doing this right now or your kid could die, like that's the, the stuff that they, they get you with. I mean, you know, like if I had actually had time to think about it and ask questions and, you know, maybe, you know, we would have added in things earlier or whatever else. But again, like you're just in so much fear and you're just trying to get through day to day and you're watching your child suffer and it's horrendous. I don't wish it on anybody. I mean, it's literally the most horrific thing you can experience is watching your child go through cancer. Yeah. Dana, does, uh, does Haley still take cannabis today? You know what? No, <laughs> she still she still smokes it, and she you know she'll use that for like um, anxiety and stuff. But because you asked about the PTSD, well, I think like a little bit of anxiety developed over all of those things that happened to her as well. But she does find that that's great for keeping her like on an even keel and still medicinal in her mind, you know. But in terms of taking the oil. Um, she really does not take the oil at all. Honestly, she only took it for about a year and a half to two years consistently, mm -hmm. like in total. And then kind of just like, you know, besides an edible here and there, like she's never really taken any type of mm -hmm. oils. Ever I, encourage I know some people continue to take it every yeah. day and they, you know, even when they're healthy and in remission and they're like, you know, there's no cancer or no evidence of disease, but yet they still continue to take the oil. I know a lot of people yeah. do do that, but um, as far as Haley goes, no, she has, she did not do that. And um, like she said to me now, you know, um, mom, I know my body now. 
She said, if I thought that I was getting sick, I would know that I need to go get blood work right away or I need to go do, you know, these things to check to see what's going on. But but that back then, um, like I said, now being the age that she's at, she's almost 30. She's much more mature now even than she was back then. And to say that, <laughs> you know, that the, the cancer isn't what matured her, well, it absolutely was the whole, the whole thing. I mean, she had to go from being like kind of like a young teenager to an adult very quickly dealing with a, you know, an adult situation. Mm-hmm. Well, you tell Haley that... Uh, with the way they were treated, I mean, like for the... You, yeah. you tell Haley that Ian and Corey said that she should start taking cannabis oil. Maintenance dose. Maintenance dose, even microdose. Get, get, get something in her system. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with you guys. Like, I honestly do. I think that there should be some sort of a maintenance dose with with that as well too and and, you know and when you talk about prevention and all those kinds of things yeah like you should take those things that supports your endocannabinoid system Mm -hmm. so why wouldn't you you know and we can do that lots of different herbs and things like that to support the body dana do you take cannabis oil um no i don't actually i um i don't take cannabis oil i have used it though for um different ailments, you know, like if I've had say a headache or I've had, uh, you know, different things like that, skin issues, I've used it for that. Uh, but I have not used it like to take it every day. Uh, no, but I do smoke it. (laughs) So that's fine. Again, I also use that for anxiety and the PTSD and things like that. Yeah. I've seen pictures of, of you and Haley. You look like sisters. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of people say that, yeah. <laughs> Don't you yes, think, Harry? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to be 50 next year. <laughs> I attribute it to the smoking cannabis because it keeps me calm. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful story that you've told us. And I think, uh, you know, when I hear stories about uh, – cancer and the chemotherapy and some of the horrific stuff that happens when people take chemotherapy. I mean, the notes you sent us, uh, she was taking methotrexate, right? Yes. And you said it's used during an abortion to cause fetal death and also causes cancer. That's right. So she was taking methotrexate, which causes Mm -hmm. cancer. She was taking Mm -hmm. chemotherapy, which causes cancer. Mm -hmm. And the cannabis oil made her well again. Exactly. And that was the light, you know, that was the light bulb moment was them spilling the chemotherapy on her and saying that. I think if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have been so dead set on, you know, really trying to to find something else because that that was, to me, it was just like, well, how can it help if it can cause cancer? It made no sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't magically become some sort of elixir as soon as it goes in the body. That's, that's not how it works. Yeah. Dana, it's a fantastic story. You're a great mom. Thank you. And uh, in some story, people's stories, I am a good mom. And in some other people's stories, you know, first when I came out publicly about what we had done, um, there were, you know, comments on different uh, social media posts that I would make about her. And people would say, you know, you're killing your child and, you know, you're a bad mom and how could you do this? And your kid's going to die because of you and stuff like that. You know, like I had a lot of, um, flack in the very beginning, but that was 10 years ago. 
Now we've come so far in the last 10 years uh, to where it's looked at as a common thing now for a lot of people to use for every element under the sun. You know, so it's a lot different now than it was back then. Unfortunately, human intelligence hasn't progressed that much. <laughs> you got you got that right. Yeah, <laughs> some right. of us, some of us have, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dana, wonderful yeah. to talk to you again. Thanks very much for doing this. And I thank you guys too. And I also remember when you guys were being censored a lot back for a while and the podcast was shut down. And to me that was devastating because because of your guys' passion, this is the reason why, you know, so many of these stories were getting out there. And so when that was curtailed for a while, I found that really sad and I was really disappointed. And I was like, there has to be some way that they can get back on air and get back out to the people. And so here you are now. So that just goes to show the perseverance, you know, made all the difference and it's still making difference every day to people. I talk to people all the time, constantly being contacted by moms and people with cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, looking for my help or advice or whatever. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, but I I do know a thing or two about how to help your body rather than tear it down. So I give them some advice and, you know, I hope they take it and they, they go on and they use that to their advantage. Some people do and some people don't. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. I know you guys come up against that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Dana. Yeah. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, you guys. Hopefully we'll talk to you again in another 10 years. (laughs) Before we go, I want to let our listeners know that you can help us spread the word about the amazing, often life-saving health benefits of cannabis just by sharing the podcast, writing a review, or rating us. We very much appreciate uh, the help of everyone who's done that already. And we really like the five-star ratings. We'd also like to thank those of you who support the show by making a one-time donation or a monthly donation on our Patreon page, which you can do for as little as $5 a month. It helps to keep us running. You'll find out how to do that on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thank you for your support. It means so much to us. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects Network. Network.